Welcome, ladies and divorce professionals. You are listening to the Divorce for Wealthy Women podcast, where we dive into complex and sometimes taboo topics relating to divorce and women. Specifically, we often discuss how affluent women can maintain their lifestyles during and post-divorce. Join me as we talk to the most sought-after divorce professionals across the globe and share powerful tips that you can take along with you no matter where you are in your journey. The next guest we have on is Kimberly Blackburn, and her story is riveting. It is just an insane thing that you got to write a book about. And so she did. It's called Dirty Love. And it's all about having that lavish lifestyle and being married to someone who's making all the assets and you're kind of taking a blind eye to it. And one day it is ripped away from you. And all of the secrecy and lies and trauma that you can go through how you can get through it and get to the other side. This is just the story for you. If you want to hear a good podcast episode, here you go. Um, and this entire thing is going to just be uh, a, just a powerful way of opening up the world of maybe it's going to make you feel heard because this is something you're going through right now. So wherever you are in the divorce process, I'm excited for you to hear this. So enjoy. Okay, this is going to be a very intense episode today. I'm really glad you're joining us. Can you just introduce yourself and tell us more about you? Yes, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. So I am Kimberly Blackburn. I am the author of Dirty Love, which is a story about a 10-year period of my life. And um, I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's sunny and a little chilly for Scottsdale, but but still beautiful nonetheless. So, okay, you wrote this book, and a, yes. I love the title. I mean, you can't <laughs> beat that. I I mean, it's just gonna go crazy popular online and in stores because of just the title itself, and also, of course, what you wrote. So, yes, <laughs> share maybe a fascinating story within. I have a few if you want me to pick one, but can you tell just the fascinating story within the book that you want to share with my audience? Sure. Well, the book is interesting in that, um, you know, that the meat of the book really is talking about the dynamic of this relationship that started in my early 20s, fresh out of college. And, um, you know, much like you discuss with the imbalance of power in a relationship, And I think as the story unfolds, you feel a very powerful shift. And I end up, um, the climax of the story, so to speak, is me living in Malibu in a $6 million home overlooking the ocean. And within weeks of being there, becoming aware of an FBI investigation and learning that the life I was living was was a facade. And within weeks of that, learning that uh, my husband who was not only implicated in in misappropriating venture capital money with his very successful or thought to be successful software company, was also leading a double life uh, with another woman, uh, even down to the same dog, and living uh, part-time just a mile away in Malibu. 
So those are some pretty, <laughs> pretty intense moments in my life. And I go from, from those truths to having to unravel this high lifestyle. You know, there's something to be said about more money or, and more problems or more money and different problems. But Dirty Love really details how um, I picked up my life with a, a two-year-old son and had to uh, kind of reinvent what my life looked like and, and find that safety and security again and the, the independence um, away from this, this lifestyle that had just taken a hold. I think we could go talk about the lifestyle we could talk about after you got out and your independence. Um, I, I mean, we could go anywhere with this conversation. I think what I'd like to start with, if I could, is in your book, you mentioned that you had seen some red flags, such as friends saying they saw women stilettos in your husband's rental or females calling your husband and he, him quickly putting his phone out of sight. Um, sure. and, and, you know, that was just all, out of sight, out of mind almost. And why do you think that women choose to ignore these flags? You know, it's interesting with me. And I think it starts long before you start to see those red flags. And that is just the dynamic of the relationship. Um, I was so young and right out of college and I had gone, which I touch on in Dirty Love, I lost my mom to cancer in college. And it was a really... You know, my life in college was not going to football games and studying and going to bars. It was, you know, doing my coursework and traveling home to Minneapolis, Minnesota to help care for, for my mom. My, my life was hard. And once um, she unfortunately passed away when I was in college, but once I entered the workforce after college, um, I, wanted, I wanted an easier life. Like it just, the last four or five years had been really challenging. So I met um, Jeremy in the workplace and he was my superior. In fact, he was my superior superior. And at that time, we talked less about the, that dynamic, that imbalance of power. Um, certainly, we didn't talk about it in the workforce and, and we definitely didn't talk about it as much in relationships. So my relationship started perhaps in a, in a pretty unhealthy way. My lack of experience uh, the trauma I had been through losing my mom. And now with someone that I thought was just going to hit the easy button for me. And in reality, it was the start of this very controlling relationship, which then slowly unfolded through, you know, for a period of five to seven years where that control escalated to verbal abuse, physical abuse, financial abuse, using uh, material things as leverage. Uh, and then... You know, as that behavior increased, you you start to see more red flags, uh, but you're almost conditioned by that point to to not respond. You're you're in a bit of that survival mode. Like, gosh, I've made it this far. We're doing great things. This company is booming. Look at this life we're living. I'm flying in private jets. I'm driving Bentleys. Like, what? You know, why am I? What do I have to complain? Everybody wants my life. So you ignore those. You ignore the texts that don't make sense or the behavior that seems odd. But it's this very slow process. And that's, you know, I talk often about it when people say, well, gosh, Kimberly, when he was physically violent towards you, 
didn't you just know that was wrong that you had to that you had to leave well yes but by the time that happened I had so much vested in the relationship and so much hope for this person in addition to losing myself in my voice and my confidence and that you know that's a dynamic that I think is really important to explain to women um, who are who are victims of in unhealthy relationships is that it really is a slow process where you, you lose yourself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I could, I could just stop the podcast here. And <laughs> we're done. Everything. <laughs> I, we're done. We're done. We're done. <laughs> everything you're saying is what I hear from women who reach out. And, and so this is going to be so wonderful for women to hear this. And, and I know it's not a wonderful topic to be saying that, Sure. But it is, that's why I do this work. And that's why you're doing the work you're doing. You are getting that voice to be heard. And I have to be truly honest here is within the first few pages of your book, I was crying mm -hmm. as I see this situation over and over and over again. You have the lavish lifestyle, but you're in a soulless marriage. Your husband might have a secret life. And I just, I mourned the women who I haven't met yet, who I can't help. But with women that you are doing right now with writing books and you're talking about it and experiencing it and helping others and having a voice to it, I feel like there's potential here. <laughs> thank so you. Thank I love you well, for doing what you're doing. It's interesting. It took me 10 years to share this story. It's that challenging when I, um, you know, you can Google Jeremy, you can, you can find out a lot about what happened from a criminal, from a legal aspect. But truly, no one knew, even my closest friends and family, what happened behind closed doors. And it took me that long, I think, now with the with perspective that I have and the clarity after writing 50,000 words, to be ready to really share, really share the truth uh, behind the story. But I do think it's important. I see many people around me, even in my circle, that, that pressure in your 20s, your early 30s to check those boxes right? You got to have a soulmate, you, you know, a great career, have a baby, buy a house, travel, um, especially with social media and the pressures of showing your best side that I, I do see women settle in relationships that are not authentic because the, they place such an importance on that facade, on that perception of success. Can we also talk about that perception of success that relates all directly to money and also relates back to our childhoods of what stability looks like and protection and around money. And once you have success, it looks like this and is it enough? And you have to show off to all of the others that you've made it and you should be okay and happy because you have gotten to this status. It's, it's a whole conversation we can have. I wonder what are your just thoughts on, on having the status and maybe not leaving a relationship as well because of fear financially. Like, did that ever come into play? Yeah, I think, um, so early on, I had a, a pretty beautiful childhood, but also in a little bit of that generation where you see a happy life, but you don't see your parents, you know, the, the covering for anything that isn't going well in their marriage. I think one of the things I really pride on right now raising my children is that I'm very real about how I'm feeling and what's good and what's not so good in our life. And I think that's an important, important to show our future generations that we need to normalize talking about it. 
so in many ways, I, I think, you know, that having a bit of that facade in childhood. And then also I was a very accomplished downhill skier. I trained um, on Olympic path. I was also an equestrian. I just, our family was very goal oriented. Um, my siblings both attended Ivy League schools. And so there was this emphasis on that perception of success. Now we know all of those things don't make you happy, but um, you know, it's something that we grew up valuing. And I think in many ways, once I got into the lifestyle, you know, when you live in a big house and drive fancy cars and travel the world, you, people envy you. And that's a powerful emotion uh, when you feel that from people. And especially as a woman who at one point was very independent and very career motivated, and I had stopped that path to support my husband, he became my identity in a way, like his success started to become my success. That's all I had to really lean on. I didn't have other career goals to, um, to feel like I could hold my own. So I relied heavily on that kind of material status to, to show my worth. In reality, it couldn't have been further from, from the truth. I mean, it made me incredibly unhappy and, and alone. Wow. I, I feel like we could end it here again because I hear this all the time. And so you speaking your voice is helping women in the same, not no one has the same situation. And yours is very, very powerful to tell in a book because it is, it is so different. Um, I think the judge on the case actually said it was one of the most aggravated financial fraud cases he's seen in his entire time on the bench. So yes. we know if he was able to do that, in his professional life, how much impact that had to have been in the personal. So, but thank you for sharing that. And the only last question that I would love to touch on, because I know your insights are going to, again, really give a voice to what women go through behind closed doors. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of read off of what I wrote down from your book is Jeremy had a way of drawing people in myself included. His leadership ability comes off with such ease. His intelligence, his ability to talk off the cuff and in a way that commands the room from CEOs to lower level technologists stopped me in my tracks. Why I brought this up is because most of the time women that I see say that they are so scared of the professionals and the divorce around them that the professionals won't see through their husband's charisma. Yes. Usually he is a CEO. He's day and night different from the office to home. I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it is so true. And I talk one of the hardest chapters in Dirty Love. Um, it's titled New Tradition. And I talk about how we would go out to dinner in downtown Minneapolis. And he would wow uh, people with that, that charisma that he had. And he raised $100 million in venture capital money. He was incredibly well-spoken and had the experience too. I mean, he was an incredible technologist, uh, but also suffered greatly from mental illness and bipolar. His, his highs were really high and his lows were, were low. But my reality is sitting at 
you know, dinner at a, at a steakhouse in downtown Minneapolis, surrounded by people and laughing and, and numbing, you know, the dark thoughts that I had with wine quickly, you know, within hours would escalate to extreme physical abuse, um, in, you know, in a hotel. And I talk about the ways that I would, I would numb that, um, you know, that survival. And by the time in our relationship, and this is four or five years into our time together, uh, it was pretty incredible. Now looking back at the, at the survival instinct I had and those defense mechanisms that, that build up, which is very indicative of someone who's been through extreme trauma. You start you know, fawning over these, the people that hurt you. And we would have these interactions, um, you know, after high energy dinners where he would, you know, wow people with that charisma and it would result in me uh, being scared for my life in a hotel room, praying that someone would hear and someone would knock on the door, but that would never happen. And oddly enough, by the morning, I, it was like, it never happened. So that conditioning over time, just as you can imagine, really took a toll on, on me and my mental health and, um, and certainly my safety. Again, I feel like we could end it there. <laughs> just that, that is something that a lot of people can't be in that room and, and understand where you were at but the women who have been in that room hopefully are listening to this and can understand that it's okay, whatever they're feeling. And it was valid to go into whatever protective mechanism that you did with your body and your mind and got through it. And I would like to leave the last question is just, what would you like to share with the audience today? If anything else, you know, I think this story, um, you know, there are a number of goals I hope my story achieves and, and the people that, um, you know, I feel so blessed when anyone picks up the book and, and takes time from their life to read what I've been through. Um, but I think what sticks in my mind for, um, you know, foremost is I want people to feel okay being this vulnerable and being so open with their truths, because I truly believe that the only way that we can, you know, break the cycle of abuse is to normalize talking about it. So that that's something that I carry with me every day in the way I speak about dirty love and what it means to me. I also think, um, you know, my advice for women going into relationships to find yourself and what makes you happy, what your lane is, what your passions are before you find that relationship. I, I think that, and we touched on this briefly before that the importance of checking all those boxes um, and that, that facade that we want to create of, of perfection that we have it all figured out. I, I think that's where I got it wrong. And I really needed, I, I don't think this relationship would have happened if I would have been very focused on finding who I was, especially after my mother passed away. And so truly my advice for women, especially in their 20s and early 30s before, before finding um, a partner is to, to figure out, you know, what makes Kim happy? You know, what, 
what, how does she want to spend her days? What does she want her career to look like? And I think once we find that we're so much, it's, it's just a so, so much more powerful place to be and then giving ourselves to someone else, um, you know, in a relationship. And that's where I got it wrong. Kimberly, I appreciate you coming on today. And I really hope that whoever reads this can spread this book even further to their audience as well, because this is really needs to be experienced by others listening to your story. So thank you again. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, um, you know, any opportunity to share this story, it's been an incredible, incredible journey um, and very healing. So when I, when I feel like I can touch others with my story, uh, that's just means the world to me. So thank you, Olivia. And stay vulnerable. Yes. <laughs> Both of us. We'll do We're doing thing. it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining another episode with me, your host, Olivia Summerhill. Until the next episode, visit www.summerhillfirm.com for a discreet way to find helpful resources that can help bring you clarity to your divorce journey.